This is the Formation Cast. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Formation Cast. This is your host, Andrew Escada. Today on the podcast, we have my very good friend, Wes Ellis. Wes is a minister at a United Methodist Church in Toms River, New Jersey, and a PhD student studying practical theology at the University of Aberdeen. Today, we talk about the people who have formed and informed our faith and theology, as well as ministry and friendship in the age of COVID-19. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, so Wes and I uh, just uh, spent some time catching up, but now we are going to get started. So I've got my good friend Wes Ellis uh, on here with us, and uh, Wes, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to, what you're doing, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Uh, it's it's fun to be a part of this. Is this, is this... Just the the second episode of the yeah, this podcast. Yeah, this West gets episode two. Wow, wow! Like Empire Strikes Back. This is great. <laughs> so, and it's, it's May the best the 4th, one. Yeah, it's May the fourth. There you go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's really fun to be connecting in this way, and I'm glad you're doing this podcast. It's exciting to to connect to the things you're trying to connect, and and uh, it's just a conversation, worthy conversation. So, uh, my name is Wes Ellis, and uh, I'm. Currently, uh, an associate pastor in the Methodist Church uh, at First United Methodist Church in Tom's River, New Jersey. Uh, so we live here in on the Jersey Shore uh, with Snooky and all her friends. And uh, we are. Uh, I'm also doing a PhD at University of Aberdeen um, from a distance, obviously, because that's in Scotland. And I'm working with uh, John Swinton and Andy Root uh, on on that. And um, yeah, that's that that occupies a, a large portion of my life, and and I also have two small kids, and trying to parent and pastor and scholar in the pandemic has been a real challenge. But here we are. Yeah, it's a it's a massive challenge for for everyone, but especially if you're having to read and write and minister and parent and husband and <laughs> oh yeah, just, there's that. Just be an existing human right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I keep calling this time kind of. Uh, th- there's no great way to describe it. I just say it's weird, right? It's it's odd. It's it's kind of. It's I'm tired of hearing the word unprecedented. Actually, I, right. I, I hate hearing that word. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult time to manage and engage it. And it's uh, you know most of the world issues that I think that many of us, especially if we're in a place of privilege, are experiencing. We experience them from a distance, and um, this is pretty immediate and close to everyone, whether you've known someone who's been, who's been diagnosed with COVID-19 or died or whether you don't, it's affecting everyone's lives and their existence. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So this is Wes and I uh, like go way back, but in kind of an odd way. So I'm from San Diego, California. Wes is from Ramona, which is just like North, East. I tell people it's San Diego until I find out they're also from San Diego. And then I have to clarify I'm from Ramona. From Ramona. So I I can't remember. This is probably five or six years ago. Um, maybe actually more. But I was in Nashville at the Youth Cartels Summit, which is their big annual gathering. And I saw this guy with a Ramona wrestling shirt and I was like, did you wrestle at Ramona high school? He was like, yeah. I was like, I wrestled at Patrick Henry. 
I think I remember you. I don't think we wrestled, but I, and so we got into this conversation and thanks to Marco and Adam uh, from Youth Cartel, uh, we were able to remember each other from high school and uh, then kind of kicked off our uh, friendship and theological and uh, ministerial um, conversations that we've been having for quite some time. So yeah, and thankfully we didn't actually wrestle each other in high school, so <laughs> we don't have to have any weird there's, rivalry baggage between us. Uh, yeah, the, although no we both know who would have won. Oh yeah, we'll just leave that un- unmentioned. <laughs> Wes is a lot. Wes is certainly larger than I was in high school. I'm not sure. That's how true. That's, That's true. You would have had to wrestle up a couple weight classes. Yes, absolutely. But um, yeah, it was just kind of a funny way of us uh, connecting and. Uh, Ever since that, we've been able to uh, have a lot of conversations together and connect at um, conferences and uh, be uh, some pastoral and theological conversations, uh, conversation partners with one another. So I'm uh, grateful for Wes and our conversation and um, all that stuff. So, um, so the formation cast, right? We're really looking at thinking through the the people, the things in culture, the things about the Christian faith, the Christian tradition, and theologians, those things and people who have kind of formed who we are um, as people of faith, um, help to form our identity, but also inform the way that we think about the world or the way that we think theologically or practically about how we engage in church, how we engage in ministry, how we engage in the thought process of, of doing theology, of reflecting upon God and God's word. So Wes, I'd love to ask you, who are, maybe who are some of the people or the things or events in your life that have formed your identity and who you are as a person of faith? Um, and let, let's start there. Yeah. Well, my, so part of it goes back to kind of what I do now and, and, uh, Really, the reason I do what I do now is because of the way I was formed when I was younger. So youth ministry is sort of my focus. And um, I think uh, the big reason is for that is because my formation, my spiritual formation really happened um, in really significant ways when I was young myself. And specifically, that was, um, you know, I had people in my life, uh, my youth pastors who uh, challenged me and saw things in me I didn't see in myself and gave me, uh, gave me ways of being in leadership and, and, uh, kind of allowed me to see, um, that I, that I could contribute something and and that I could do something in ministry. So I felt called from a really young age to be, uh, to be a leader in the church somehow to do some kind of ministry. Uh, I always thought it was going to be youth ministry and, and, uh, and then, you know, there was a time in college where, I tried to run away from that a little bit and uh, I was going to, you know, quit youth ministry to be an academic theologian. And uh, now I'm, I'm still trying to do that a little bit, but, but uh, I'm still a youth worker. And yeah, so I, when I think of the people who shaped me and formed me, uh, I think of my youth pastors uh, and I think of the people who in, in key moments in my life were able to, to say something uh, to me that that challenged me or encouraged me, that empowered me uh, in ways that I didn't know I was ready for. And um, when I was, uh, you know, a youth worker right out of college in uh, in California, uh, actually uh, 
I was an associate, I was a, a youth director at a church in Ramona, California, where I grew up. Um, I had a, I was taking part-time seminary classes and stuff. And I started really reading the, the work of Andy Root and Kenda Dean. And, uh, you know, they seemed like these just incredible, brilliant minds who were able to think theologically about youth ministry. And um, I had a professor in that part-time seminary classes I was taking who said, Wes, I really think you should apply and go to Princeton and, you know, study with, with these people. And it, at that time, it was just a crazy idea to me to, to think to do that. And um, so I did end up going to Princeton and studying with Kenda for my MDiv. And, and uh, uh, now I'm working with Andy on my, on my uh, uh, PhD. And, and so uh, those two people are, are, have to this point uh, really been key mentors for me in, in helping me um, just kind of come into my calling as a minister and a scholar. What um, what years were that when you were in Ramona working as a youth worker? That was from 2008 to 2012. I was the director of youth ministry there. So, I mean, you initially read those, you read Andy and you read Kenda and then you went to study with them and now you're working with Andy and still, you know, informed by the work that Kenda's doing at Princeton. And um, I think one of the key words that you said when you were talking about, you know, your youth ministers or, or other leaders or people in the church is that they empowered you to do something more. And um, I, I do think it's significant when we talk about things like faith and faith formation, that they're not just these instances that, I mean, they can happen kind of ad hoc, like at a time, but they are things that continue with us over a period of time and now we're in 2020 and you're doing a PhD working with Andy Root who you were influenced by you know 12 years initially 12 years ago um, and I think that's I think that's a significant thing for the for people in the church to hear is that formation is, is not often just an instance but it's something that happens with people alongside people who are influencing you and empowering you over long, long periods of time often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like uh, it's not like in a movie where there's like a, a clear pot, plot line and, you know, something happens and there's the climax and it leads to something, you know, it's sort of it's, real life is a little messier than that. And, and things sort of, you know, we, we sort of narrate our experience with story, but things kind of happen sort of uh, up and down and in and out and, and uh, but so it is. It's a long process, and uh, it's a little bit mysterious. And I, I think that's a lot of spiritual formation uh, needs to be open to mystery. I, I mean, I think that's actually a huge part of it is uh, being willing to allow for God to encounter us, and um, and recognizing that God is not an object. God is a person, mm -hmm. and. Uh, God doesn't fit our specific categories and boxes that we try to, to fit God into. Yeah. And that's, I think that's something that's difficult for, especially the church in the West to grasp and to comprehend and to live with is because we always want to know, right. We're always planning what's next and mm -hmm. in the world of faith formation. Um, we may, I mean, it's ironic, both Wes and I from San Diego, both of us in the world of youth ministry, um, both of us thinking that we would be 
you know, academic systematicians uh, in the world of theology, and both of us find ourselves working with young people in the church. Um, and we are, we were formed not because we knew what was coming next, but because God, God as a person was engaging in our lives and directing us toward things that we did not necessarily, um, things that we didn't know and places we didn't, I, I did not intend to live in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And I have been here working in the church since uh, 2012. And so faith formation is not something that it's, it's hard to anticipate the idea of being formed in your faith um, or what, what will come from those formation experiences. Mm-hmm. Um. Did your did your family have an impact on uh, your faith and your involvement with the church and the way you were formed or the direction that you've you've kind of um, taken? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. My and I, I'm kind of not sure which way to go with that because yeah, certainly my my part of the reason I was in youth ministry as a young person was my family. Um, and my mom was, uh, was very faithful. And when my stepdad eventually came into the picture when I was in about fourth grade or so, um, you know, he was, uh, very committed to his church. And so they modeled for me kind of what it looks like to be committed to a church. But actually my first real connection to youth ministry, uh, happened because of my brother. So my brother, Jesse, who is, uh, just a pagan now, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Actually, uh, that's actually not far-fetched. Um, but yeah, no, he's he, my brother who didn't, you know, end up going the same route I did with life um, and who's doing really amazing things on his own right, but certainly not a church-going kind of guy. Um, he's the one who brought me to church. Um, mm-hmm. My first kind of youth ministry experience. I mean, I'd had a connection to my my parents' church for years and, you know, Sunday school or on Sundays or whatever. But mm-hmm. the first time I went to a youth group where people like, sang worship songs and talked about the Bible um, and of course played some games and stuff too. But uh, the first time I really saw discipleship played out in that kind of a context uh, was because my brother started dating a girl who was in a youth group. So, you know, this is evangelism dating, right? And uh, she brought him to, to youth group and he thought it was a little weird, but he knew his little brother Wes would like it. So he invited me to come and I stuck. It just stuck for me. And I was, I was, uh, I was hooked from day one on this community of people and this, wow. the Like I remember reading the story of the woman of the well and a story that, uh, you know, was familiar because I'd heard it, but like, my youth pastor asking me to open the Bible and look at where the story was and read it was like transformative for me. It was like, wow, that story is actually in the Bible. Like it's not just a fairy tale. And, uh, and it just opened up huge possibilities for me. Um, And I've actually paid a lot of attention. A lot of my spiritual formation since then has been from paying attention uh, to what happened for my brother and his experience mm-hmm. with it and how sort of a haunting question for me that still engage that still kind of informs my own research is this question of kind of why, why did my brother and I both have the same youth ministry experience, 
but experience it in such different ways. And why did we go such different directions with it? Yeah. And uh, and that actually is is uh, was a key research question for me going into it, and, and sort of um, a question that informs the way I think about discipleship in general and faith formation. In that, yeah, there's kids like me who are gonna. Uh, who are gonna? It's gonna stick. And you're, as a youth pastor, or youth worker, your idea of uh, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus is gonna just work for them. And then there's gonna be kids like my brother who, deep and intellectual and and engaged as they are, um, they just don't fit the same exact narrative. And so uh, my question is kind of how do we, as youth workers, as people, can who care deeply for spiritual formation and the formation of people are in our congregations and churches and ministries. How do we actually listen for what God is doing in young people's experience in, in, in human experience in general, how do we actually listen for that and not just listen for our expectations of what that person should be. Um, and, uh, and how do we make sure to hear the voice of God in the lives of my brother and not just in the kids that like are on fire for the Lord from day one? Yeah, that's, a. um, I think it, it, not just in youth ministry, but in the church as a whole, we don't do a great job of saying, you know, we, we look at all of the kind of classic, right. Church kid examples and say, Hey, well, this is what happened. These are these are the reasons why this church, this this child, or this this young person and their family is they're highly involved. These are the things that we've done. This is the ways that they've been engaged. Let's use this as a model going forward to right. how to um, engage with people and help form them in their faith and be in relationship with them. What we don't often do is go talk to the to the youth who left and, or, or who 10 years later said, Hey, I, I actually, I don't really care about this anymore. Right. Yeah, or, yeah. or I don't know why I was involved with it in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at that as a whole with churches really of, of any size, but probably more larger churches. When people leave your church or stop going to church altogether, we're, I mean, we, we rely on Barna and Pew and all these things to do these research, to, to research and help us answer the questions of why aren't people engaged in their faith anymore, rather than actually sitting down and having coffee with them or, or calling them and saying, hey, um, we know you've left and we just want you to know we care for you. But we also want to, we want to know why. And we want to yeah. know why church, maybe this particular church or why faith is no longer important to your everyday existence or, or your weekly existence, whatever faith has looked like for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I recognize that, that I'm sort of a success story, uh, even though my, you know, youth ministry of my youth is different than the kind that I'm doing now in, in a lot of ways. But I mean, I, I'm a success story. I became a pastor, you know, I did the thing. I followed the route to what it looks like to be a mature Christian adult. So yeah. yay. Um, and it's important for us to, to pay attention to our success stories in ministry. I don't, uh, you know, we, we don't want to put an end to, to notice those stories. But we do need to recognize that sometimes our success can be our biggest weakness can actually our, our success stories can blind us to the stories of other people. And, and you talk about, yeah, going back to the person who, uh, who left and asking them why, I think that's vitally important, but I also think, uh, 
I think we can do a little better than that. I think we can go from the very beginning and ask different questions from the start of our ministry so that we're not asking them why they left afterwards, but we're actually asking questions while they're there to know how we can participate. There's a reason they're there. Sometimes it's my parents forced me, but there's always something else underneath that, I think. Uh, and there's something God is doing. I, I guess that's just a commitment I have. It's just a, an assumption I make from the beginning is that God is already doing something in the lives of young people because faith formation is not something I do. It's something the Holy Spirit does. So if God is already doing that, then my job in ministry isn't to ask, what does the goal look like and how can I get them to that point? The question I should be asking is, how is this young person, how is this this person, this human being in my midst actually encountering God? What is God doing there? And how can I be, can I participate in that? And so how do we investigate those questions and, and think through that? And I, I think uh, we're still going to lose people. I don't expect that my brother's story should have ended with him being a pastor too or anything yeah. like that. I don't have that, uh, that thought anymore, but, um, but I, I do think that my my youth pastors could have done a little, they might have been able to participate more in what God was doing had they had the, the tools to ask the question, what are you doing? What's God doing in Jesse's life and in my brother's life? So. Yeah, I think we, uh, I think those are really important comments and we, um, Right. With our success stories um, or successes in ministry, often I think what happens is as people who are engaging in the practice of youth ministry or the practice of children's or or older adult ministry, whatever it looks like, we we look at those um, those successes and the things that we've done, and then we read them back into our Mm -hmm. practices. And that's what we end up forming our ministries around. Um, and, And that kind of goes goes back to the idea too, especially when you're talking about young people is how people are constantly asking the question. Um, and I think wrongfully, so how do we help these young people become faithful adults? Not do we, not how do we help them become disciples who follow after Christ as a, as a seven-year-old or as a 12-year-old or as a junior in high school or as a senior in high school, who's just lost uh, their graduation and yeah. all of these uh, important ceremonies and landmarks that uh, they were hoping to experience with their family, with their friends. And um, so we, we want to create these systems that work for people who ultimately are uh, very malleable in the way that they live and think and, um, and feel. And it's, it's hard to create a system of faith formation or of ministry that will work um, and I don't even like to use the word work, but that will uh, be meaningful for mm-hmm. every single person. And I think, and I think one of the things that um, practitioners, church people, ministers can do better is, yeah, rethink the questions that we need to be asking. Um, rethink the way that we need to be ministering, not because we found the right system, but because we're actually talking to the people living with, engaging with the people who we are ministering to on a daily or weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we need to have, um, I mean, I think what we've done is we've created a, a, a space for collateral damage in our, in our ministries. And I think we need to just have a, a more zero tolerance policy on, on, uh, uh, on collateral damage that, um, that if God is working in everybody's life. And so, 
Um, so how can we, how can we hear that? How can we see that and participate in it? So, yeah. And I, I also think we, uh, we tend to, especially with young people and I, I you know, and this goes beyond just youth ministry, but especially with young people, we have a sort of, uh, a, our, we have a bad anthropology. We, we start with the assumption that this person is in, at a deficit already. Yeah. Uh, and that they are in need of some other form. I mean, I've almost stayed away from the language of spiritual formation, actually, because it it presumes that kind of um, that something needs to change. And I, I think that needs to be a secondary consideration of, you know, what needs to change in this person's life. Yeah, maybe, but um, you know, it, then what we're at risk of is turning ministry into just a technology for solving problems. Is uh, you know, we're always on the lookout for what's the problem that I need to to solve, what's the thing I need to change, um, and I, I just think you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like nails, and you're going to miss everything else, and and that that tends to happen in ministry. I think that everything is about a problem and a solution. Everything is a puzzle. <laughs> then we miss out on mystery. Uh, because mysteries, unlike puzzles, uh, just don't have a solution, and they they just need to be participated in, listened to, encountered, uh, not solved. Yeah, that's a uh, and uh, Wes has let me read some of his his writing and um, stuff in the past, and has talked about kind of this adolescent stage and taking this kind of diagnostic, getting rid of a diagnostic model of looking at ministry and just seeing people as humans loved by God and creating space for them to encounter God and for God to encounter them rather than saying, Hey, right. There is a problem that needs to be fixed. This is where the nail needs to go. And we're all hammers. And I think that's an important uh, thing for more people in ministry to acknowledge is, um, Sometimes you don't need, sometimes certainly you do need to be a hammer. I think there are places where like, okay, we need to, there are things that we need to do yeah. because there are issues, but uh, can we look at church and ministry and, uh, and whatever form it takes as creating space for people to encounter God um, as, as humans, rather than as people who are in need of being diagnosed and us figuring out what the problem is and then working from that standpoint. Yeah. 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 I mean, one way of saying that, and I, I used it in an article I wrote that I borrowed it from uh, the field of childhood studies uh, from a guy named Jens Kortrup, but uh, is instead of thinking of people as human becomings, we think of them as human beings. So yeah. um, if a, a human becoming is someone who's just reduced to their potential and what they might become or the expectation. Uh, and, and then, uh, but a human being is, is a mystery that stands before you. So I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in life together, if the, one of those very famous Bonhoeffer quotes that I'm going to misquote, but he says um, uh, that, uh, you can't fall in love with your dream of the community, but the Christian community itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I should pull that quote probably to get yeah. it exact, but um, but the idea there is is you know you can't just you can't fall in love with an expectation. Uh, the God of the universe is is in love with actual human beings, not just some expectation held out for them. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's. These are these are kind of fundamental questions for for my own research and and just what I think ministry is about. Yeah, and I think it, it's hard to, uh, especially in more institutional churches, it's hard to um, not rely on expectations or examples of expectations that have been met 
or not met in the past, but simply see people as human beings and um, figuring out how to engage with them as such as they are, uh, rather than with expectation that they will become something something else rather than simply be who God has yeah. created them to be um, yeah. uh, while yeah, they're I mean, on their way to figuring that out. Right. And, and it's not to say transformation doesn't happen. I mean, sure. I think that's a, you know, a misconception is that uh, by, is that if you just focus on the present, you're going to miss the, the future somehow. Um, and it's, it's not that um, I, mean, I guess the, the, the assumption here is that love changes things, but love isn't about changing things, right? Christ didn't come in order to save us from our sins. Christ came and that saved us from our sins is, is yeah. one way of looking at it, right? In dying, in being with, with us in the incarnation, uh, God rescued us from sin. So there is a rescue. There is a rescue from sin. There is a transformation. There is formation. Um, but you got to keep the the horse before the cart, I guess, and make sure that, um, that the the principle isn't the change, but the principle is the actual encounter itself, the the relationship. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's uh, an important way of framing it. I mean, that's this is right a, li- a little part of you know uh, Christ doesn't come. Like, we don't we don't encounter God in order to for God to give us grace. The encounter itself is grace, right? Yeah. Jesus is not the giver of grace and forgiveness. Jesus is grace and forgiveness. And so that, that encounter has, has some meaning to it far beyond what goes beyond that encounter. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think that's a a framework that is important for um, how we should, how we should think about ministry um, or how we should rethink ministry. Um, Wes, why don't you, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what exactly I know we you're in the world of youth ministry you've been been influenced by people like uh Andy Rood and Kenda Dean um I know Jurgen Moltmann has played a, a big part in your uh in influencing your the way you view theology view and do theology um but a, a little bit about what what it is that you're studying what it is that you're writing on um yeah. Well, um, yeah, you named Moltmann and, and uh, I definitely had a rep- reputation uh, over the last few years of, of being kind of a molt maniac, uh, <laughs> so to speak. So I still, I still am uh, formed by, by Moltmann's writings and, and uh, his theology. And, and I am actually uh, becoming more Bardian probably over the years uh, in reading Moltmann and others. Uh, but one of the other uh, key uh, theologians that's been really influencing me um, the last couple of years is uh, Douglas John Hall. He's a Canadian theologian, uh, kind of sort of a Lutheran in a lot of ways, but uh, comes out of the United Church of Canada. And um, uh, just, uh, you know, these are the kind of voices that, uh, you know, have been shaping me. And, and Catherine Tanner's Christ the Key mm-hmm. uh, is a text I go back to a lot. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, if I had to pick one genre to keep reading forever, it'd probably be systematic theology. But um, but I still, <laughs> uh, I also uh, am reading um, a lot of uh, my own field, practical theology and, and youth ministry stuff. And so, yeah, I just try to stay in touch with those conversations. And, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've mentioned a little bit already what my, what my research is about. And, uh, you know, I guess to give it a short, uh, short frame. It's um, I'm I'm just trying to offer a theological perspective on youth ministry. So I think our our current um, 
approach to youth ministry has kind of been hijacked a little bit by sort of developmental and uh, uh, technological approaches uh, or uh, sort of instrumentalizes uh, the ministry itself for some other goal. And uh, I'm trying to, to offer a perspective that really begins with a theology of youth itself um, and thinks of youth uh, not just as a stage of development uh, like adolescence, uh, but actually as a, a location to encounter God, um, a place uh, where we can wait on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and th- it's a perspective that's also really grounded in eschatology. And that's where Moltmann comes in for me is, is uh, uh, just the confession that, that what we're hoping for, the end of, of youth ministry, so to speak, uh, is, uh, is not in our, it's not development. It's not our movement towards some telos, towards some goal. Uh, it's, it's eschaton. It's God's coming to us. Uh, and so youth ministry is about encountering God and young people's experience. And so a lot of the stuff we've, we've already been talking about yeah. here, but, um, but yeah. And what that leads to, I think practically is, is, um, that, uh, we need a more open perspective in youth ministry to, to let our ministries be not just about, uh, what we're trying to accomplish, but, uh, actually assess them according to the kinds of relationships we're we're creating there, uh, the friendships that we have, and um, so yeah, that there's a, a recent book we just if I can plug it, <laughs> the the yeah. uh, that Kenda Dean and I and a couple other authors, uh, uh, Justin Forbes and Abigail Visco Russert, um, uh, called Delighted, and uh, we explored in that book kind of a theology of joy for youth ministry, uh, and um, and yeah. I th- it, w- that's kind of been made its way into my own work a lot. This, the idea that what's really necessary in ministry, what really uh, is kind of the bedrock of, of faith formation is friendship of being able to actually encounter each other and, and have a relationship that's built on freedom and welcome and love. And, and um, yeah, that's, I think, uh, a challenge right now in the, in the pandemic, uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, um, how do we, well, first I, I think it's, I think, you know, starting with a theological framework for, for doing youth ministry, um, I think is important. It's need it's needed. Um, and it's been lacking right up until really Andy Root and Kenda Dean, uh, nobody was talking about, you know, theological turns in youth ministry or, or right. practices as being theological, um, and so uh, I, I think the work you're doing is really important. But w- we are in this time of isolation from one another, of Zoom calls, of FaceTimes, of phone calls and texts without being in uh, the physical presence of other people. And so what does, um, what does friendship, whether it's friendship within churches or what just friendship in general, look, do you think looks like in, in, the, in the age of COVID-19? Yeah. Yeah. I guess a lot of zoom calls. Is that, is that the right answer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a whole lot of uh, Facebook live and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's a really challenging question I think right now. And um, I mean, I think, I think to, to get at it, you have to sort of think about what has informed our perspective on friendship over the years. And um, I, I really think we get a lot of our, uh, our idea about what our, who our friends are and what that's about from, 
uh, from Aristotle. Now, I don't think everybody's out there reading Aristotle, but but, uh, but implicitly, what Aristotle was yeah. getting at was that that friendship is uh, is about mutuality and reciprocity. It's about um, people who are kind of on even playing ground, uh, who have a kind of give and take sort of relationship. Uh, you know, f- friendship as kind of buddies and and yeah. um, it kind of follows what John Swinton calls the principle of likeness that you kind of, you kind of have to be the same as somebody um, to be friends with them. But uh, something I've tried to work out is that I think a more fundamental principle for friendship is actually freedom uh, of the, mm-hmm. the freedom of being able to choose this relationship. It's, it's different than family, right? Mm-hmm. You, you kind of don't get to pick who your mother and father are, uh, but your friends, it's, it's, well, there's a little more, it's more voluntary. It can be given as a gift and received yeah. that way. And uh, so, I, you know, we, I think we need a more nimble and versatile definition of friendship, especially in a time like this, when another principle, I think that, that I didn't think about very much before I was doing everything on zoom and, and, and Facebook uh, is that not only do we value mutuality and reciprocity in friendships, but really proximity becomes really key. I mean, mm-hmm. we've all done long distance friendships, uh, but you know, we tend to, there, there's a whole nother level of actually being in the room with somebody and, and actually being in sharing space with people. And, uh, I, I really think that, uh, now is a time when we definitely need, pretty we need a broader perspective on friendship yeah. there's different kinds of friendships not all of them are going to allow for the same kind of mutuality and reciprocity and that we assume a lot of friendships do so when we think about a, a friendship between a young person and an adult for example uh, a lot of people have warned against that kind of relationship in youth ministry there's plenty of if you do a google search there's plenty of of things out there that'll tell you don't be friends with your, yeah. your, your young people in your church, with the kids in your youth ministry. Um, there's, there's, there's articles written why pastors shouldn't be friends with their, with, uh, their congregants and, you know, as adults. And what that goes down to is, is some things that we really do think are important, right? The, the boundaries we have in relationships that uh, certainly I shouldn't have the same kind of friendship with a young person in my church that I do with, uh, you know, my buddy who I go get a beer with every every once in a while, right? I mean, it would be really inappropriate and yeah, illegal. Of course. <laughs> so, and actually a lot of, uh, you know, so I, I want to warn against the same things that people are warning against when they say don't be friends with youth in youth, in, in youth ministry. But, um, but that's actually, that idea actually has nothing to do with friendship. In fact, that's a false idea of friendship, that you always have to be equal. Um, in fact, youth... Uh, friendship is more it's grounded in god's relationship with the world right if a theological vision of friendship is god freely choosing to befriend the the world in creation and so uh and and that that friendship is not always reciprocal right that's it's it isn't reciprocal i mean i I don't this is where we can have a, a a debate about human agency and stuff but if you're following a more kind of calvinist reform tradition with barter and others 
Uh, no, it's absolutely yeah. not reciprocal. Totally. Human beings cannot reciprocate uh, the kind of the the fundamental relationship. This is about being born again and being saved from death and resurrection. I mean, what's a dead body going to reciprocate to the spirit of God? Sure. There's just nothing that we can reciprocate. And even if there is some reciprocity, there's certainly not mutuality. They're not the same, right? Yeah. So God doesn't not become, doesn't uh, not be God anymore when God becomes human, right? And sure. When God becomes, when God befriends the world, it's as holy other. God's still God and still maintains the distinctive responsibility that God has for the creation, for human beings. Yeah, mystery still exists, right? The veiling, the unveiling, and yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so friendship. If we're if we're at all to think of friendship as a theological category at all, I mean, if if you don't think young people should be friends with with adults, you probably need to to think about if you think human beings can be friends with God. And maybe you don't want, I mean, we don't, we don't want to go down to like buddy Christ idea, but, but yeah. again, friendship is deeper than just buddies and pals, right? Yeah. It's a relationship built on freedom. And so freedom, you know, there's always mutuality and reciprocity are principles we need to think about that, that relationships do take some work and that there's something, you know, God, there's sort of an, uh, um, a response that's that's compelled from us when God gives us grace, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a res- there is a reciprocity and mutuality there, but we need to make sure that the guiding principle is freedom, is mm-hmm. God's free choice in love to befriend creation. God does not need to create the world; uh, God chooses to do it. And in the same way, God does not need to befriend the world; God chooses to do that. And so. Uh, so this allows for an idea of friendship that welcomes difference. Difference doesn't have to be a problem. It actually becomes uh, a real source of, of new knowledge, a source of, of something beautiful and something good. And uh, so, I, you know, in a time when we can't really be together, when the proximity thing isn't really an option, uh, I just think we need to welcome the kinds of not just difference between people, but difference between different kinds of friendships. Uh, and we need to welcome the connections that we make online as genuine connections, mm-hmm. even though they're, they're certainly not a replacement for actually being together in a space. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should forsake them as just false altogether. These, we have an opportunity in ministry to create actual genuine connection between people in our in our ministries and uh, we need to just watch out for the temptation to still make our youth ministry about kind of a cool program or something i mean i know bigger churches uh have the resources to be able to kind of still do youth ministry with the rock band and uh, you know or the, the worship team or whatever still still kind of leading the way um but we have an opportunity now uh in this to create spaces for for freedom for for relationship for actual connection uh and to notice that it is different than when we get people in the space together but the the basics are still the same um that sharing each other's stories hearing each other's confessions being there for each other is still a reality still something we can do yeah i, I think that's important there there's uh it's really interesting that um 
young people have been communicating over technological mediums for for quite some time and having friendships with people that they rarely see. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden the world has been forced into this and has had to figure out what something like friendship looks like over digital platforms. Um, so I actually think that's something really good for people, for the church, um, because there are simply different kinds of friendships. I do think that, um, you know, you've talked about freedom, the, the idea of gift, uh, friendship as a gift. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you work with John Swinton at Aberdeen, who's done work on uh, theology and disability. And the question of, I know we have a, we have a, a theology reading group at, at Trinity, the church I work at, and um, we've read some of John's work in you know, we have people in our congregation who are in deep stages of dementia. And the idea of, you know, there's no mutuality or reciprocity in bringing friends with them, that they are deserving of friendship. They are deserving to be known by God and by others. And if you view friendship as, as a free gift, as a gift, then it totally transforms and changes the way that you you view other uh, you view people or you view potential friendships um that it is really about gift and freedom of that gift not simply about you know i give and you give and i receive and you receive right yeah it's not a transaction yeah it's not transaction that's right i think that's where like mutuality and reciprocity can go if we if we're not careful is it just becomes yeah relationships friendships I mean, we, we all know when a friendship, we, we can tell when it's not real anymore. When, when yeah. you know, someone's sort of like, we can't give them what they need. So they disregard us or something. I don't know. You, sure. We've all had the story of yeah. someone we kind of thought was our friend. And then we realized they were just trying to sell us something or they didn't <laughs> get something from us. Um, you know, uh, gosh, what are those, what are those things uh, on, you know, every once in a while you get like a friend request on Facebook and it's someone you haven't talked to in like 15 years and like, hey, you get a message. how yeah. are you? I'm selling this thing. <laughs> Would you like to buy it? You know? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, that's, this is fake. And yeah. So we all know that that's not friendship and um, yeah. And it's yeah. not a gift, right? It's that's... not a gift at all. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we can't buy things off our friends. You know, I mean, I buy books that my friends write, yeah. you know, just because, but, um, but like, uh, yeah, it, it has to be, there's a, there's something about desire actually wanting friendship, actually wanting to, to be in a relationship. And, um, yeah, I think we need that. We need that now more than ever, uh, because the kinds of friendships we were, we were, we're used to having that, uh, you know, the kind of loneliness that's setting in right mm-hmm. now for a lot of us who are six or seven weeks into a, to sheltering in place, social distancing thing. Um, it's because like, we don't really know how to do friendship this way. And, um, and, and we do have to have a space to lament that absolutely the kind of friendship we were used to isn't there anymore, for, at least for a time. Um, and, and that's something we absolutely should grieve and lament. Uh, but we also need to, you know, it's because the, the kind of online or whatever friendships we're trying to conduct right now are not a replacement for it. But yeah. that also doesn't mean we have to resign ourselves to having no friendships. We can still create connections. We can still seek people out and, and 
do those extra things to, to, yeah, to offer this gift of friendship to people in our lives. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are in need of friendship right now because it, it can be, depending on what your situation is, it can be an incredibly lonely time. Um, and the worst thing that we could do is say that, well, we, we can't make new friendships during this time, or we can't give right. the gift of friendship. And, you know, we've got uh, some of our, um, some of our children have been writing letters to um, some of our elderly folks who are in retirement communities are in, and are, have been unable to leave. And uh, they've received some letters back that say, hey, we can't wait to see you in person and get to know you better. And, and that, is, that is an act, uh, that is a gift of friendship um, and a gift of relationship that not just elder, that all people need. Um, and yeah. there are certain people that really need that badly right now and uh this is also something in the age of you know social isolation this is something that we also shouldn't get rid of once we go back to whatever the new normal is right we should be offering gifts of friendship um to people um to people who are lonely and in need of being known Um, i think that that's a um i think that that's something that's really important for the church to, um, to think about caring for, for young people and for older people. And, you know, when we talk about young people too, we often think of, you know, we talked about kind of adult and youth friendship or adult and, you know, child, young person friendship. And often it's, it's viewed as, oh, the adult is going to give like wisdom and advice to the young person, right? And that's what yeah. this friendship's going to look like rather than like knowing them for being a, you know, 12-year-old who likes baseball or who does uh-huh. theater or whatever it is, right? That looks so different than you and I being at a conference grabbing a beer or an older person, um, you know, trying to give us advice on on what we, mentorship, right? That's an entire, mentorship yeah. is not identical to friendship. No, there are elements that can be, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think good mentorship will involve friendship and good friendship in many cases will involve mentorship. I mean, you, you certainly, uh, real friendship is an actual, it's, it's as a gift, you're going to share what you have. And, and, um, there is, like I said, when God becomes our friend, God doesn't, you know, forego some of the responsibilities God yeah. has towards us. Like, yeah, oh no, absolutely. God's our friend now. God can't save us anymore. You know, anything like that. There's a real, um, there, you still maintain that you have a responsibility for young people, uh, depending on the context and depending on what that looks like. So I guess it's just to say that, you know, um, you need to embrace relationships as friend as opportunities for friendship. Offer totally. them as grace, and uh, and yeah, don't always look at it as the other person is always at the deficit. Your difference is not a, a uh, is not determined by a scale of improvement. One person is not better than the other, or something. Difference is just difference and it's uh and it's a gift in itself and so yeah you can offer your wisdom if you have some uh but you know you you can also uh just enjoy the person for who they are and 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 you can also receive their wisdom you know i actually think right now with technology we're we're really listening to the wisdom of some of our younger people absolutely how many associate pastors in their churches are like like really being like 
the new tech person. It just feels like a lot of the senior pastors and churches are going to their younger clergy and being like, help us, you know, yeah, <laughs> edit my, edit my video for sure. Sunday morning, you know, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is a mutuality and reciprocity in this. We do yeah. share together, but like, um, but yeah, if you put that, if you put the cart before the horse, if you allow that to be the guiding principle, uh, then you miss out on the joy of actual friendship the, yeah. um, because joy is free. Joy does not depend on uh, some outside thing, some other, some other, uh, you know, transaction. It's, it's, it just chooses and yeah. desires. Yeah. Yeah. I think for both of us where I'm, I'm a, um, speaking for myself, at least I, you know, when I have, you know, been working directly with, with youth, whether it's at Trinity where I'm at now or Roswell Presbyterian where I was at prior is, you know, I, I was, you know, my job was to influence, engage with the faith lives of young people, but it, and I hope I do that well. Um, but every time I, whether it's an event or just like coffee or whatever it is with the, with the youth, I always, I come back transformed, right? Like I am, it's not just this mentor who's giving advice and life things about, or life advice or or information about faith or whatever. It's just seeing each other as humans loved and created by God. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, something that's often lost. I think in the churches, we should be, we should be transformed by our congregants and, and our hope and prayers that, you know, God will use us to transform and engage in their life and their faith and um, help them along the way and give them the tools to do for faith formation um, and to live out their faith on their, on their own as well. Right. Pastors come and go. And um, so I think that's uh, that idea of gift is for, for ministry, for um, friendship is, is important. Um, that God created not out of obligation, but out of gift. I think that's a good model for us to, to live and to minister um, faithfully by. Uh, Wes, thanks for your time and telling us a little bit about your background and your research and the things that you're excited about. And uh, will you tell everyone, so uh, Wes has a book called Delighted and he's got another co-edited book, um, I believe. So tell us, tell us where people can find your writings or find you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you can look me up on Amazon. It's probably the easiest place to find uh, Delighted. Um, And yeah, that, uh, I w- there's also the second book you mentioned is Embodying Youth, uh, Exploring Youth Ministry and Disability. That's a collection of articles that I edited with Mike Langford uh, at Seattle Pacific University. And uh, that's expensive, so I wouldn't necessarily – should, <laughs> you should ask your library to carry that book. But, uh, but Delighted is uh, – it's you know if you don't trust my work, uh, look at Kenda Dean. She's the, she's the key author on that. And Kenda and, um, and Abigail and Justin are brilliant thinkers. And, and uh, it's going to be, yeah, we're, we had a, we had a blast writing that book. So yeah, just, just look us up on Amazon. Um, Wesley W Ellis.com is, is my blog. I don't know if, I don't know if, if I should even plug that. I don't ever write on it, but uh, you, can, <laughs> you can check that out too, or find me on Facebook, Wes Ellis. Uh, I'm there too. So Cool. All right, Wes. Well, it was good to uh, see you and uh, have a conversation and hopefully we'll get to do this in person uh, 
sometime in the near future. Yeah, sometime after the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Wes. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thank you.